Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Good morning, Lifehouse, and thank you for joining us for part three of our sermon series, God Struggles. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about deconstructing false mindsets about struggles, as well as reframing our struggles and even discuss some strategies about overcoming struggles. This week, we're going to continue along those same lines by asking just a couple of questions. Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? The disciples responded. They said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked him, well, who do you say that I am? Well, Peter steps up and he responds correctly. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You see, this is an interesting question because Jesus didn't ask the question because he didn't know who he was, but he asked because he wanted to know who, what it was that they thought. And more importantly, if they actually knew who it was, they, who he was. However, we find ourselves too asking the same questions. Who are we and who do people say that we are? You see, Peter's response was evident that God had revealed to him Jesus' true identity. Else Peter wouldn't have known this on his own. So who answers those questions when you ask? Is it God? Is it people or even yourself? You see, our identity is who we are, the way we think about ourselves and our characteristics. It can be influenced as well as it can change. And if we're all honest, at times we've all allowed the thoughts and opinions of others to define us, which can lead to a roller coaster of crazy emotions, as well as sometimes some self-destructive behavior. And while we struggle to find the true answers to these questions, we are simultaneously wrestling with the fact that the culture is enticing us to conform while God's word compels us to transform. It's literally a tug of war and a moving target. But what would happen if we allow God to define and reveal our identity? We find that we could truly live a life that's fulfilling and that would bring glory to God, which is what we actually were made for. And look, we've all been in this place. And some of us are there even now this morning. This crisis has put us all in a place where it stripped us back to our bare essentials. I mean, it's got us nervous about uh, reaching out to our friends and our family. Some of us haven't seen them in a, a, a long time. We don't even know how to greet each other these days, and let alone just trying to shake someone's hands. And if you're around somebody and they cough, you think twice about being close to them. I mean, it's as if this whole entire crisis has changed the way that we think about ourselves as well as the world around us. So for those of you that are struggling with identity during this crisis, today's message is for you. Tell your neighbor, the struggle is real, but I am who he says I am. Look, we are created beings. In fact, we are created in the image of God. And a created being never knows its true identity or purpose except to be defined by the creator. Such is the case with us. 
In God, we find our identity. Else we find ourselves searching for it in the approval of others or even in the accumulation of things which really never truly satisfy and put us in a place where we're empty at the end of the day, still asking, who am I? Well, I hope to share a few things with you today that will help anchor you in God's love and challenge you to become the person and discover the person that God really truly made you to be, a son and his daughter. Let's have a quick word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this time that we get to spend with you. Lord God, we just ask that you be with us this morning. Let your word come forth in power, truth, and conviction, Lord God. Help us to see who it is that you are and who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So look, why in the world are we even on a struggle bus with identity in the first place? I mean, is it that we really don't know who it is that we are? I mean, <laughs> inherently, no. This is why we search for like buried treasure in the pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, we form our identity through external ideals and events that influence our internal thoughts, values, and self-image. And our identity becomes the source from which we live and make decisions. So sometimes when we think about that, we end up not liking the person that we see because of insecurities, because of flaws, as well as some of our failures. Yet at the end of the day, we all truly want to be loved despite those things and despite who we are. And we find out that the enemy will say that we're not loved because we have those flaws, those, those failures. But God tells us that we are loved despite our failures, even so despite our sin. Tell your neighbor, I am loved and forgiven. Look, sin has a devastating impact on our identity, but it truly cannot keep us from God's love. Sin, simply defined, means to choose our way over God's way. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So look, we're all shaped and formed in sin, and we're all prone to disobey. And look, if you got kids, then you know that sin is real. I mean, think about this. How can this child that came from, from me, that looks like me, that I feed, that I house and clothe, how can they not do the very thing that I say? I mean, who teaches a child to say mine? That, that's my, hold, I bought that. Who teaches them how to be selfish? You can't tell me that sin isn't real because kids are as real as it gets. Who teaches them to take an extra cookie in front of you and then lie about it? I mean, nobody teaches them that. It's just somehow in them. It's as if they were born like that because truthfully, we were born like that. You see, a tree can only produce fruit after itself. So when our kids get on our nerves and we say, what in the world is this? Why are they acting like that? The first place that we really have to look at is in the mirror. I'm reminded of this when my son tells me that he doesn't like chicken wings and he doesn't like burgers. And he'll say, well, you know, I'm just going to eat vegetables, dad. I don't like meat. But then when we get to McDonald's or Chick-fil-A, I find him asking for an eight piece nugget. Like what in the world is that? And then when I get struggle, or frustrated, I have to remember, hold up. I didn't like or eat anything but chicken nuggets until I was 13. You see, that apple truly didn't fall that far from the tree. And speaking of trees, let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. In the scripture, we find where the fall takes place. 
The scripture reads, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired and to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of God walking the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Here we see, here we see that God had created, God had created uh, the Garden of Eden, put, put man in it, told him to tend it, and told him that he could eat of every tree in the garden except for this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And after an encounter with the serpent, they find themselves having sinned against God. Not only that, but they covered up and found themselves running and hiding from God. You see, sin separates us from God, and it distorts the image of who God is. Eve was somehow tricked into thinking that eating the fruit would somehow make her wise like God when she already was created in his, in his image. Adam wasn't deceived, though. He was just hungry. I mean, <laughs> well, maybe not, but he chose to eat nonetheless and thus sinning. Their sin had broken the peaceful relationship that they had with God. It had brought guilt because they had disobeyed a holy God. It, it brought shame because they were exposed and now they sowed these fig leaves to cover them up, themselves up. And now they were fearful. They didn't want to deal with the consequences, so they ran and they hid from God. And see, some of us have sinned and running from God as well. We think, how could a perfect God love someone that's imperfect like me after all of the things it is that I have done? And so some of us even define ourselves by our sins. It's not something that we do, but we say it's something that we have become. And I know it's hard to believe this morning, but no matter how many times it is that you've sinned, you and your sin are not the same. You are not your sin. Jesus never defined or identified somebody by their sin. He never went to Peter and said, come here, cussing disciple. He never went to Zacchaeus and said, come down here, you thief. He never called doubting Thomas Doubting Thomas, he called them by his name. And he called them by this, his, their names and he called them to repentance and love. So God says this morning that you are loved and that you are forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he that knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. God, Jesus literally became the thing that God hates. He paid the full penalty of death such that we could have eternal life and be made acceptable unto God. And then tells us in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that, Jesus, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So while we see our sin and what we're going through and what we're doing, God sees the blood of Jesus and sees someone that he wants to be his son or his daughter. Like a loving father, God calls us to himself and he restores our identity and our relationship with him. Sin not only separates but it also can distort the image of God. We can't see God for who he really is. It's like looking at yourself 
in a broken mirror. You really can't, it really doesn't give you back the, the true image of who it is that you are. Do you find yourself running from God in these moments or running to God in repentance? It really depends on who it is that you believe God is and his love for you. Ironically, sin always tests our belief of love and character in a person. When our kids make mistakes, of course we want them to admit it and come to us and tell us what they did. But sometimes they're reluctant to admit, the, admit wrongdoing and they lie and they cover it up. And when you ask, well, why did you do such a thing? They will respond and they'll say, well, I was scared. I didn't want to get in trouble. To kids somehow dealing with consequences and a parent's displeasure with what they've done somehow equates to you don't love me. And of course I love my kids. And their actions could never change that. And I want them to know that I love them no matter what. But see, sin distorts their understanding of who I am as their father and my love for them and somehow tells them that they're unworthy to be loved. Somehow I have to prove to them that I love them, especially when they mess up. This is, this, now, 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 now look, this doesn't mean that they simply just get off. But that we start with love and we end with love. This is the difference between conviction and condemnation. You see, com conviction corrects and love and expects better, while condemnation punishes and does not restore. Now, I know that may sound silly to some of you, but look, is this, this kind of how we treat God sometimes? I mean, what have you done that's got you wondering if God still loves you? What is it? Is it something in your past, in your present? Is it something you did last night? What is it that's got you wondering whether or not you're still acceptable to God? Well, I want to tell you this morning that his love for you is greater than your sin. And that God's response to us, even when we're in the mud, is not one of rejection, but it is one of love. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 2, 4 tells us that it's the goodness of God that brings men into repentance. So look, Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves to cover up their nakedness. But see, God made them coats of skin. And some people say that um, this could have been a lamb or the first sacrifice for sin. It's definitely a reference to Jesus because Jesus is called the lamb of God. God gave them a better covering, and he gives us a better covering. You may ask today, who am I? But God tells you that you are loved and you are forgiven. His love removes the distortion and helps us to see God for who he clearly is. So knowing this, we must live from the approval of God versus trying to obtain it. Tell your neighbor, avoid the trap. Look, the amazing thing happens when you stop seeking approval. You actually find it. This isn't because you don't care what other people say, but because you're not driven by it. Seeking validation will keep you trapped, especially when you seek it from the wrong people. Now, validation itself doesn't trap you, but seeking it will. Some of us have experienced all kinds of abuse at the hands and, uh, and words of people that we have wanted to accept us 
as well as been in, some of us have been abandoned by people and thrown away by those that we love. And those things, truth be told, it hurts. But you see, hurt people hurt people. And in response, we find ourselves in anger telling the world, I don't need you or anybody else. We find ourselves isolating ourselves or getting stuck chasing after acceptance of folks that will never give it to you no matter what or potentially use that to manipulate. We cannot find ourselves in a place where we are given over to the opinions of others because we'll see that it's more like a, it can become, approval can become like a drug and we can find ourselves getting addicted. I don't know about y'all, but I'm an 80s baby, and I grew up in the 90s. I remember being in high school, and I had these pair of shoes called Nucleus. Now, you probably like, what in the world is a pair of shoes called Nucleus? That's the same thing I said when my parents bought them for school shopping. What's a Nucleus? I tried to cover them shoes up all the time. And I remember when I got my first pair of Jordans. Now, first of all, them Nucleus, I got joked all the time. But when I got these pairs of Jordans, when I got those Jordans, I was like the man. Everybody wanted to know where I got these shoes because I was the only one in school that had them. But then I went to the skating rink and somebody stole my Jordans. And I'm thinking here, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I got to get me another pair of Jordans so I can be cool. Why? Because I love the, the attention and the admiration. Really, the glory that I was getting, the props that I was getting. But now that I didn't have that no more, I didn't have the admiration either. And some of us are doing the same thing. We find ourselves posting stuff on, on social media, on Instagram. We find ourselves taking pictures. We find ourselves doing all kinds of things in order to get some type, somebody who will like us, somebody that will approve of us, somebody that will just notice us. But truth be told, when we are posting everything on social media for validation, it exposes our insecurities. And it shows us that we are thirsting for attention. We got the best pics online. This is me with my, with my baby. But yet, in real life, our lives are a hot mess. So why is it better? Why is the appearance of being okay better than actually being okay? Some of us will do anything for acceptance. I mean, I mean even if it hurts. How in the world, like the cinnamon challenge, still not trying to figure out how that's great. How is eating a Tide Pod cool? I mean, <laughs> or doing some other crazy act that somebody will be like, that's cool. I understand that. Some of us are even in bad relationships because we're scared to lose that person. We're, we're unsure of who we are without them. We have to avoid the trap of seeking validation from others. Not only avoid that trap of, of seeking validation, but we also have to avoid the trap of becoming hypocrites. Now, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 5 through 7, the scripture reads, But all their works, all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called the men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Now, these were the religious leaders. These were the people that Jesus is actually rebuking them. The Pharisees did many things that were right, but they always did 
the right things with the wrong hearts. Yes, they read their Bibles. Yes, they understood the law. Yes, they tithed and they fasted. They did those things. But it was always done for the purpose of somebody to look at them and admire them. They did not do things in order to please God, but they did things in order that they themselves might be admired, that they themselves might be praised. All of this results in a heart that's cold and hard and selfish. They didn't care about anybody else but themselves. We have to understand today that God is more concerned with who you are more so than what you do. We got to avoid the trap of becoming a hypocrite. Why? Because you see, when we think that God is so concerned or more concerned about what we do than than who we are, then we will struggle always trying to change our behavior in order to get God to approve us. And then we'll fail over and over and over again. And after every time we fail, we'll accuse God of not loving us when it's actually us that have really misunderstood who God is. God transforms the heart. He's after who it is that we are versus what it is that we do. If he gets the heart, then he gets our actions by default. And you see, there's no amount of human admiration that can replace the peace and the joy and the love and fulfillment that comes from being accepted and loved by God. And if I know that God approves of me, I can stay true to myself, my values and my faith, even when culture criticizes me and my peers disagree and everybody leaves me alone, I can still become a person of strong faith and substance and please God as opposed to living for selfish ambition. We have to be careful to stay, avoid the trap of seeking validation. Avoid the trap of becoming a hypocrite. Then we need to realize that we are loved, filled, and sealed by God's Spirit. You see, every vessel is meant to carry something. Every vessel is meant to carry something. In John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, this is the story about Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this, of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will be in him a well springing up unto everlasting life. Now, the thing is, is that she wanted that, She wanted that water. It was a long way out there and she had that big pot and it constantly needed to be refilled. She wanted that water. And then Jesus asked her about her husband with the purpose of revealing the need for her heart to be filled and just not her pot. Jesus then reveals to her that he is the Christ and that he was the living water. And that out of her belly will flow rivers of living water, a reference to the Holy Spirit. She believes in him, immediately drops her pot and goes and tells everyone in the city that she's from, come see a man that told me everything about myself. She had been transformed and no longer was she identified by all of the men that she was with, but she was identified by the God that loved her and forgave her. She came in with the bucket, but she was the bucket and now she was filled. The Holy Spirit not only fills us, but seals us as well. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the, the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, before he ascended back into heaven, said that he had to leave such that the comforter would come. The Holy Spirit is God's signature. Before any contract is ratified, you have to put your signature on it to make it legally binding. Anybody that has the Holy Spirit, they are in fact his. The Holy Spirit is God's signature on our lives that we do in fact belong to him and that we are a part of the beloved. And it is that spirit that leads us into all truths. It is God's spirit that that grows his character on the inside of us. Love, joy, peace, the fruit of the spirit, meekness, self-control, goodness, gentleness, and patience. All of these things are the things that God, that the Holy Spirit grows in us. So the same way that children look like their father, we start to spiritually look like our heavenly father. Our identity is found in the father and it's him that sets the standards in our lives. We can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, where we see Paul had been persecuted. He was persecuted and been through so many things, but he tells us that he had this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God may be found of God and not of us. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit. He said that they were troubled on every side, but not distressed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken and cast down, but not destroyed. The Holy Spirit represents the very presence of God in our lives, and he is the treasure on the inside. It was the who that was inside of Paul that filled his heart with such hope and such confidence, even when he was persecuted to the point where he was about to die. See, Paul understood who he was, who he belonged to, and who he believed in. He was satisfied in Christ, even to the point where he said to live is Christ and to die is gain. He lived his life in such a way that would bring glory to God, even if it meant the loss of his life. And we can live that way too. So look, I'm not sure what storm you're going, in, going through right now, but I can tell you that just like God told Moses that he would be with him, God will be with you and he will be in us as well. I don't know how COVID is impacting you right now. I know things are crazy. I don't know how tough it became. it's for you to instantly become your child's teacher, principal, cafeteria worker, and parent, and PE teacher. I know people are mentally struggling right now. There are those that are lonely, that are wondering about their friends. There are some those that are overwhelmed and isolated. There are those that are wondering where their support systems are coming from, but I'm telling you that God can, God will be with you no matter what the crisis is through it, in Christ, we are more than conquerors. So when people ask you, how in the world are you making it? You can be ready to give them an answer and you can tell them that it's not me, but it's him that is inside me. It's the treasure of the Holy Spirit that resides in the inside of the believer. We'll see that the Lord is a rock. He is a refuge. He is a fortress, that the Lord is kind and that he is merciful and that we can make it through these things and not because of what we do, but because of who it is that he is. And if Christ was everything, the best that God had, and he gave him for us, what more could God do to prove his love for us, that he loves us? Today, the Lord wants to make his dwelling 
in your heart. Tell your neighbor, God is for me and God is with me. As I close, I want to ask you another question. Why is this even important in the first place? It's because Romans 8 tells us that everyone that has the Holy Spirit belongs to God. And I'm not sure what it is that other people call you today, but God calls you son. God calls you daughter. God calls you his beloved. So what does it matter what anybody else says? What could compare to the voice of God and his approval and validation? I mean, who, who else is qualified to tell you who you are? Not other people and apparently not even we ourselves. But only God who created us is qualified to tell us who it is that we are. You see, Jesus was sentenced to death for blasphemy, for saying that he was the son of God. We read in Matthew chapter 3, in verses 16 through 17, after the baptism, Jesus comes up out of the water. And it's this amazing moment where we see the Trinity all in the same place. Jesus in the water, the Holy Spirit descending down upon him like in the form of a dove. And we hear a voice that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You see, God even validated the identity of Jesus. Such is the case with us. Your value, identity, and approval is found only in God. And to them that have received him, that believe in God, and received his son, Jesus, to them he gave the power to become the, the children of God. So receive him this morning. Believe in him this morning. So when you ask the question, who am I? Let God's voice be the voice that you believe. Don't run away from God because of sin. He says that you're forgiven. Don't seek approval from the wrong people because it won't satisfy. God says, I made you. Receive Christ this morning and the promise of his Holy Spirit. God says, I'm for you. And not only am I with you, but I'll be in you. So when you ask God, who am I? What is my identity? He'll say, you're my child. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.